Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How did that taste last night, Mr. Nick Fan? <laughs> How did that taste, Daniels? Had that thumping taste last night. Mike, see, here's the mm. difference, and Kelly can chime in here. Uh, we already checked out for the All-Star weekend. Ah, uh, okay. We, 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 I think we had like four Are guys you blame last the, night. the players sitting out? It's like okay. a power play in hockey, like four on uh, five on four last night. So, you know. <laughs> uh, now, I'll say this. I mean, it's good for the Magic. What, what, what has bothered me, I think Kelly can agree, is the Knicks were playing so well, had that great win streak. And uh, believe me, the Magic have no reason to feel bad for anybody with injuries, but the the Knicks have been decimated these last two weeks and kind of killed that momentum uh, that they got to recapture after the All-Star break. they got to get some guys healthy, but hats off to the Magic. They blew out the Knicks last night. I don't like the way the Knicks have stumbled on the All-Star break, but it's a good win for the Magic. Okay, Paolo scores 36, no free throws, Daniels. I think Franz and Paolo should try this more often. Can I get to 40 without a free throw and ask the NBA, at what point is there a chance yeah. I can get a whistle here along the way? Yeah. It's I hard mean, to do, under, Mike. It's hard to do. I can, almost under, I can almost understand the Franz. Correct. 38. 38. Because Franz right. is, isn't as well known, obviously. You know, people talk about he, he doesn't really initiate contact with his Euro step. He tries to go around contact. Instead of initiating it, but Paolo, and again, Paolo did a lot of his damage from the three point line last night, but Paolo does initiate contact, Mark. Oh, I, uh, although last night's game, he, he he attempted 10 threes and hit six. Uh, the first part of your statement about his game, he's more likely to be the guy that's going to get to the rack. Not that Franz doesn't, but Franz is more of an outside threat. Although Paolo at times can shoot, um, so, so last night's game—if you didn't watch the game—you may say, "Well, that's incredible." But if you saw that half of his field goal attempts were from the three-point line, because the Knicks decided, "Well, why guard him after he made his fifth? Um, but but it's still hard to imagine that Paolo could play what what he play thirty-four, thirty-five minutes and have no free throws. It's like give me a break. I'd love to see the last time LeBron James played thirty minutes and didn't take a free throw. I said this earlier this morning, and I'll run it by you. Like, like there, eventually, and I think last night would have been the perfect time to do it because the Magic actually won the game, so it wouldn't have really sounded like whining. Eventually, doesn't Jamal Mosley have to come out and say, what in the hell is going on out there? Why can't we get calls? I mean, he's a nice guy and all of that, and we know everybody loves Coach Mosley, but maybe he has to go against his personality and get fined to stick up for his team eventually. I'm not saying when, but I thought last night might have been a good good chance to do it. Well, I think after a win, it's even better. I mean, if it's after right. a loss, it's not like you're whining, but I mean, you could win as they did comfortably and say, look, it's a great win by our team, but hey, come on now. What are we doing here? But it's not his personality, and I respect that for Jamal, but I understand your point about kind of defending your star. I do think 
that that Paddle is developing the reputation, and it's a and we've talked about it. It's a process of proving it on the court uh, with your peers. The recognition, which came with Rookie of the Year, the next step now being an All Star. I do think it's coming. I don't know when he go. Okay, he's now in that group where he gets the benefit of calls, but I do think you see a progression of stardom where you know you're just going to get the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And that's a good thing because you work hard to get players like that. Okay, so the Magic off for the All Star break. They're twenty five and twenty. They didn't reach their twenty um, fifth win last year. I think March. What was it? March something. Mid March last year was the, was when they reached their twenty fifth win. So obviously they're well ahead of pace. Uh, Daniel, so so Paolo's going to the All Star game. And I half kiddingly said he needs to take, you know, his bring his recruiting pitch to the All Star game and, you know, start telling some of these other All Stars and some of these other players in the NBA how great it is to be in Orlando and, you know, essentially have a recruiting pitch like a college football coach has a recruiting pitch. Do you you think, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but don't you think there comes a time too when, he has to start selling other players on being in Orlando? Well, the difference of the NBA versus college football is that player tampering, for the most part, is allowed. Right. In the sense of Paolo can text anybody anytime he wants and tell them how great it is to uh, play in Orlando. Um, that's different than, uh, hey, you know, you ought to sign this contract. This, I mean, the NBA can't stop players befriending each other. Um, I don't think you have to do it in All-Star Weekend. It doesn't hurt that, you know... If you're around somebody who says, hey, tell me what it's like to play down there, uh, I would think the Magic feel pretty good the response that he's going to give. I think sometimes some All-Stars would say, don't come here. This place is a disaster. But I think um, the Magic would feel pretty good if somebody asked Powell, hey, hey, tell me about Jamal Mosley. I would think he would give a really good answer. Tell me about facilities. Tell me about living down there. Um, So I, I think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think it's insane in the sense of what you brought up. Uh, about how recruitment starts. And you know, we just assume everybody in the NBA knows everybody. Well, there's a fraternity because you're in the NBA, but I do think you you know, begin to develop friendships when you're around all-star games and get invited to events, um, you know, high-profile events, and you never know what could lead to somebody deciding, hey, I, I want to go play there because of that guy, and no harm in uh, saying, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Here's the stat I was looking for. The Magic are 30 and 25. They didn't reach their 30th victory last year until March 21st. So that was a stat I was looking for. And 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 but back to what we were just talking about. Speaking of Paolo, he was, you know, he was on Team USA during the summer, so he, you know, he started building a reputation and some cachet among some of the other players in the league there. Now he's on the All-Star team. That's how that, that that is when you start sort of building these relationships where you're on the same team with these guys, right? Sure. Oh, no question about it. Uh, um, uh, it, it. It's it's a crossover of sorts when you know in, in all sports you see players make that rise where hey, promising young player, potential star, uh, star, superstar, and you know whatever category you want to put him in right now, he has that it factor. I think the elite players of the NBA recognize that there's something there, and um, 
he should embrace that uh, from absorbing things like being around these guys east and west at the all-star game and uh you know whatever uh, you get out of those relationships and meetings to you know the, the real business stuff of other young players that that you know might ask him about playing there now the same thing happens the other way you know somebody telling him why don't you come play here doesn't always favor your side but um it's a great situation, Mike. We've talked about it for several years. The Magic haven't had somebody like this that you feel you can wrap your arms around as the face of a franchise that um, could also attract people to come play here. The Magic just haven't had that for years. I was joking. Uh, yeah, he needs to like he he needs to go out there and like he, he needs to have like pictures on his cell phone. Hey, let me show you our training center. Can you believe this this this? This hyperbaric chamber we have, and and look at look at the training table we have. Little PowerPoint I, presentation, oh, huh? You know? Yeah, yeah, yes, right yes. Before, right before it, Doc Rivers gives that uh, speech on how to lose the game, he can say, "Guys, before Doc <laughs> tells us how to blow this one, can I just show you a little bit of a PowerPoint presentation here?" Right, and he needs to bring his pay stub and say, "Hey, look look at the state income tax I pay. Oh, none. How much do you guys pay? Guys, because I pay no state. Yeah, my state income tax the same as defense today. None. You got it." <laughs> Look at this. All right. right. Well, you want to come here and play. Yeah. Brings in Mickey Mouse. You know, hey, hello. Look, he's right here. Come on. You never know what works. Wear your mouse ears out there like Shaq did when he got off the plane. Exactly. Got drafted. Anyway. All right. Straight ahead. We have a lot to talk about. Got a college football story I want to talk about. I want to get your take on the awful, sad tragedy that happened at the Victory Parade in Kansas City yesterday, so we've got a lot to cover on the bridge. But first, let me tell you about my favorite place to play golf. I'm talking about Mission Resort and Club. If you play golf and you want to take advantage of the Bianchi bonus, book a tee time right now at Mission Resort and Club. Mention open mic. They'll give you a free bucket of range balls, all right? If you haven't tried Mission Resort and Club, I urge you, to give it a try. It will be in your rotation for favorite places in Central Florida to play golf. I'll guarantee it. This place is beautiful. It's just a short drive from Orlando in gorgeous Howie in the Hills. There's not one but two championship courses. I love El Campion, the champion. It's one of the oldest courses in the southeast. First opened in 1917. The other course, Las Colinas, also beautiful, also challenging. Uh, NBC golf analyst and former Arnold Palmer winner Gary Coke designed that course. This isn't just golf. It's an unbelievable golf resort. Uh, why not make plans to stay, take your significant other, have a special experience. They have everything you want, four exquisite restaurants, a full-service spa, and so much more. Remember, book that tee time at Golf Now or call Mission Resort and Club, 352 324 3885. That's 352 324 3885. Mention open mic for that free bucket of range ball. Daniels, do you still have your Kenny Loggins obsession? Yes. Yeah. But you don't, you don't. Didn't you used to talk about Kenny Loggins like Friday? You would play Kenny Loggins songs or something? I used to do. I used to play Kenny Loggins song, uh, one of our final segments on Friday. Mm. I like that. By the way, can I um, can I follow back uh, uh, up on something before you dive into what you wanted to talk about? 
No, yeah, and I want to I want to bring up something to relating to the magic. But go ahead. Well, somebody had, uh, tweeted yesterday uh, when they heard me comment about Shaq ownership versus LeBron, and 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 then posted the uh, net worth. If celebrity net worth is is your source to uh, use comparing net worth of people, that's fine. That's not an accurate reading. And let me uh, repeat what I said yesterday. LeBron's got a lot of money. Uh, LeBron mm-hmm. has made more money on the court um, than Shaq, obviously, for the years they played in. LeBron has smart business people around him. If you want to take the time and go do some uh, research on Shaquille's investment portfolio, I'm talking about stocks that he's bought into, equity stake that he has in businesses, and I'm not talking about stuff you see on TV. I mean the tech and the artificial intelligent investments he made in recent years, as well as the investments that he made, like early investment in Lyft, not just the famous Google story that he has, but about Ring, when he was an initial investor in Ring, that now is a valuation that's gone to the roof. Trust me, Shaquille... Doesn't that count? Doesn't that count? Not when you go to celebrity net worth and use that as a source. Uh, uh, Again, LeBron's got more money on the court. And and when you see those rankings, that is based on an estimate. It's not like Forbes or Sportico has access to LeBron's portfolio or Shaq's portfolio. It's a projection to some degree. But you can publicly see some of the things that Shaq has owned from the many different franchises uh, that he has bought and sold. But that dude, as far as his investments on the tech side... Whether it's his decision or those around him, that dude has been brilliant. And the amount of money that he's made in the last decade plus of his investments is incredible. Not that LeBron doesn't have those. LeBron's business strategy with Maverick Carter is like Fenway Sports. I'm not saying it's not worth something. It's a small equity stake that he then gets the affiliation and branding with. I mean, Shaq has been an angel investor in some things that have gone on to become worth a lot of money. And my point is, neither could afford to buy the team today. They don't have that mm-hmm. kind of cash. But as far as the equity stake and the business partners, believe me, Shaq could put a, a, a team together quickly to buy an NBA team. I'm not saying he'll do that, but I stand by what I said. LeBron probably someday could afford to do that, but Shaq's dollars and his equity position in, in some companies, it's impressive. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I want to get something off my chest. Mm. So, Jalen Brunson treat, uh, tweeted uh, last night. Got to give credit to the Magic social media team. Every time I open TikTok, I hear Orlando Magic. Orlando, he hears the Magic song. All yeah. right. Yeah. Literally every single time. Now, I'm not saying that the Orlando Magic social media team doesn't deserve credit, but Daniels. KV and I, actually before KV, were the ones who brought back the old Orlando Magic song and made it popular in the city again. Did we not, KV? Do we not play it after every time the Magic win? Yeah, I'm taking credit for that, too, Mikey. I'm taking credit. Yeah, absolutely. So, Daniels, Open Mike deserves some credit for this. I'll talk to Jalen. Okay. Yeah, I'll get back to yeah. you. And I'm not saying that the Magic social media team doesn't, the Magic don't have more reach than open mic, but I think the Magic actually got the idea to remake this song from us. Mike, that I mean, thing every was time buried, we have David's, okay, until we came up. 
and did it. Yeah, David Steele, every time he would come on the show, oh, I love that you guys play the old Orlando Magic song. And oh, voila, what happens? The Magic start replaying it again. Why? All I'm saying. While Mike continues with his bitter pie, we're going to pause. Yes. Uh, let's say goodbye to the audience in Tallahassee. Continue listening on the uh, iHeart app. So it's 96 on the game at First Station ID. Club. Daniels, I'm, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about continuing. Continuing a conversation we had yesterday about we were talking about NIL collectives and, you know, the story that Edgar Thompson wrote on the Gators new collective Florida victorious. When we got off the air yesterday, I got a couple of emails um, from Gator fans. Who who said that. And I'm paraphrasing. They said that it's it's off putting that. The, the Gators specifically, but you could you could probably do this with any school, right? Mm-hmm. It's off putting that these schools are essentially keep begging for money and keep asking for money. Like, like I just opened my email, all right, and I got you know, but I guess because I'm an alumnus, I got I'm on the Gator Booster mailing list. Today's the Gator Booster uh, National Day of Giving, all right. You're supposed to be giving money to the Gator Boosters today so they can do with it what they do with it. But anyway, these these couple of Gator fans said it's off-putting that they keep getting, you know, essentially solic- solicitation to get more and more money. Do you get that from some of the fans you talk to? Uh, I believe that uh, that is an item that Florida, Florida State, uh, and some of the biggest rivals of the Gators would all be in agreement on. Um, and I think that uh, uh, that is a problem recognized by athletic departments that they don't know the answer to because they're still trying to raise money. I think it, it, it comes into play, and I think you'll agree, that at Florida State, coming off the undefeated season, and I know how the season ended, but still I'm saying how the undefeated season, before whatever happened at the end, uh, it doesn't bother you as much as it does if well, you're. Well, six. let me correct. Let, let let me interrupt you for a moment. Normally, I would say you're right, but there are a lot of Florida no, 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 State I, fans right, no, I was right now because point. of what they're doing with the I, stadium. I, I, <laughs> yes, yes. But what I'm saying is, I think it's easier for you to either just delete and laugh about it if your team's winning than if you're not winning and you feel bombarded. But winning or losing, Mike, I do think that there is. A common feeling among fan bases like there are no strings for you to pull anymore on me, okay? I'm being pulled here, here, here because I'm getting something in the mail about this fundraiser or I'm getting something in the mail about this or I'm getting this email or I'm being invited to this event and you're asking, 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 asking and I'm telling you that I don't have any more to give. And, and then the next level of that is my head is spinning because I'm being told, well, you gave money here, but give money here, or you did this and you do that, because there's also been an internal shift at a lot of athletic departments where it used to be, hey, you give money, it goes to the fund, and the fund is used to uh, help all these things. Now it's, we'll put it over here into this pot that's going to buy players. And there are a lot of people turned off by that. It doesn't mean that those fans don't recognize the game, meaning the business 
of what college football has become. And I think they would tell you, yeah, I know, we need more money to buy players, but I'm not comfortable with that. Go find somebody else that is. And I brought this up yesterday when I talked about, you know, uh, a, a collectives, and I still question the sustainability of most of these uh, collectives because the person paying my twenty-five, fifty, or a hundred dollars a month. Okay, you know those programs that exist, right? Yeah. yeah, they're getting what the initial idea of the collective was. Meaning, if you give that amount, by the way, there's nothing wrong if you give that amount. You're getting access to autograph sessions to take pictures and meet the players and things like, and that's yeah, great. That's cool, right? That's cool. The reality is, your team they want that, but they need the other people that are given twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. Your twenty five dollars a month, they will tell you is important. And and don't get me wrong, if you get a thousand of those people, the money adds up. But they need the quick fix. So, hey, go to the autograph session, meet the players, but I need to meet with Jim Bob over here because he's got 10 auto dealerships and he's given me $250,000. And I don't know if all of that is sustainable year after year after year, which is why I do think athletic departments, those that are proactive, are thinking about, hey, the revenue-sharing model, what is the plan that works for us because I don't think you can keep going back to the same people and generate new people to keep up with the dollar amount you think you need. As this industry is evolving, those that study it more, Mike, think the average cost on a yearly basis for top Power 5 programs is 10 to $15 million per year now. Mm-hmm. It's likely going to go up. Everything goes up. Right. I don't care how big you think your program is. For some... That's not sustainable if you're asking the same people and your growth of new supporters is not keeping up with the dollar amount that you need. So you say, well, let's go out and find more millionaires. Okay, that's not easy to do. Right. So that's why it's right. got to be, do we take some of that media money? How do we find it? And, again, evolving economies have to figure it out. I hate to say this because it sort of goes against what I I myself would do, all right? But if I were not me, if I were an AD mm-hmm. at a, you know, major college football playing institution, you know, obviously ADs, they want they they love to have the money in their own budgets. Hey, contribute to the athletic program, contribute to the, you know, the Gator Boosters, or the Seminole Boosters, or the Knight Boosters. That's where they traditionally would want the money to go, all right? But if I'm an AD in today's world, if I've got the the millionaires you're talking about, Daniels, that all ADs, you know, love to have, I'm telling that millionaire, hey, we would love to have your money in, in, in our booster organization, but for us to win, we need your money to go to NIL. And even though it's going to cost the booster organization a bunch of money, we want your money to go to NIL. Because let's face it, Daniels, if if NIL is truly the most important thing in recruiting today, and in the long run it does you better to have a winning football program, that's going to bring in even more money than than not winning. I don't so argue. NIL, but, but I would say NIL is a better investment if you want a winning college football program. And whether you are an athletic director, 
whether you are a CEO of a company, whether you are the salesperson that grinds it every single day, your pitch is important, and you better know the room. Meaning, to take the example you just gave, if I'm going to go meet with somebody that has shown a passion for my athletic department, let's say didn't graduate but lives in the area, does business in the area, mm-hmm. and has money, i got to know what's the key what gets that person going? And it may mean, Mike, that, hey, I need to know more. Are they passionate about our team? They love the game environment, and they love winning, and, and, and man, they want to win. Then that pitch is geared towards that person explain, here's how we win on the football field. If that person is more interested on the philanthropic side, I'm not making that pitch about NIL money. I'll make that pitch about upgrading our facilities and investing in mm-hmm. our student-athletes on the scholarship side. And what's happened, though, is it's a lot of ADs have instructed the people in charge of those pitches, just get them to, to, to put money in NIL. And there's where you're getting pushback. And, you know, we've talked about a place like Florida. And every time you bring this up, you're right. Look, it's the flagship university in the state. The, right. the, the generation of donors at Florida is still ahead of anybody else in the state. But the bulk of those donors are from families that have been around there, Mike, for, you know, 50, 70, 100 years. Mm-hmm. They've given money for uh, many reasons. Some of those people don't want to hear about buying linebackers and wide receivers. They like names on buildings. They like, you know, to give other types of donations. So you got to try to find the people that want to give money because, wow, we're just like, a, you know, a, a player or two away. It's a different pitch. And you got to know your audience because there are examples where the pitch has just been, look, I know you're averaging a million dollars a year from the family. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and you get to earmark that money. We'd really like you to put that money towards uh, this uh, uh, to pay players. And a lot of those families go, you see these two birds? Here's what you can do with that. No, I don't want to do that. And then you got to go find somebody else. And it's hard. It really is. And if you're winning, fine. But... And people say, well, such and such school, they got endless money. Okay, keep on winning. Because as I've said many times, what is the return on the person that has the net worth of uh, of $50 million that gives 500000 a year? There's no financial return. None. Zippo. <laughs> nada. Okay? Right. And, and as the collective industry evolves in some form, my guess is... The nonprofit collective is going to go away too. I, I I just think it's not going to work if the collective's going to exist. I mean, you can't sell that. Um, so the tax write-off becomes a lot more challenging. Right now, no one's policing anything. So right. it's tough to 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 tell a person, hey, how about that emotional return you got? I mean, you were on the team plane, wasn't it fun when they offered you chips or pretzels? I mean, at some point, you know, rich people like a return. Even those that aren't rich, I like a return of my money as well. So, let me let me tell you about Suncoast Credit Union. Wow, what a guy! All right, Daniels, real quick, a college football story we didn't get to talk about because you were you were gone mm-hmm. some last week and didn't ask you about it yesterday. Um, why do you think Chip Kelly went from a head coach to offensive coordinator at Ohio State? Uh, before I answer that, we have another coach that gave up his head coaching job to become an assistant. As Sean Elliott at Georgia State has left the position of head coach to be the tight ends coach at South Carolina. Well, that's money right there. Of course it is. Here's my thought about Chip Kelly. 
Um, get out on your terms before... Get out while the getting's good. ...before they get rid of you. And I think Chip Kelly, this is my opinion, I think Chip Kelly felt he was in a spot with a athletic department despite going to the Big Ten that is going to not get as much money as everybody else for a couple of years. An athletic department fighting debt. Um, I think he kind of felt he wasn't getting the support at UCLA and therefore was pointing fingers elsewhere. An NIL collective that perhaps is not as aggressive as the teams he's going to be asked to compete with. Um, and I just think he felt, I'm almost in a situation where they're setting me up to fail. So I'll bail now. Uh, I can go work for somebody that used to work for me. There's a natural connection there. And I'll still make a couple of million dollars. I'm fine financially. But I don't think I want to stick around here where I'm almost set up to fail. And then they'll fire me next year. So actually, he this is he's taking a loss now in total salary and hopes that you know, if he does want to be a head coach again, he can, you know, do great at Ohio State and maybe but, somebody will hire him as a head coach again. Maybe, but I also think there's something to this, Mike, because Chip has made so much money over his career and he earned that, right? I'm not right. quite sure Chip Kelly wants to be a head coach in today's climate. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe he's like, you know what? I've made my tens of millions of dollars. Let me coach offense. I think I'm good at it. And if I don't have the rest of that stuff to deal with, maybe I can go back to the roots that I enjoyed when I ran offenses at Oregon uh, and the game was different. Uh, Again, Mike, I think, and and speak for yourself here, there's a lot of coaches making four, five, seven, eight, nine million dollars that are addicted to the money and lifestyle of being a head coach at a major university that also can't stand what their jobs become. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I know a couple of them. So, you know, and they said, well, then don't do it. Yeah, but you know what? When you're getting paid that kind of money and the house is paid for and the car is paid for and the golf membership's paid for and the plane's paid for, it's hard to just walk away from that lifestyle. But I think there's a lot of coaches that can't stand what their job now has become. No question. Good point. All right, come back. we got more of the bridge after this. It's the uh, bridge with Mark Daniels and Mike Bianchi on this uh, Thursday. By the way, um, uh, quick uh, a college football note. I'm actually going to uh, talk a little bit about this on uh, my show. But uh, Crystal Kind of the AD at uh, Texas may have let a little SEC secret out of the door yesterday. Ooh, what? Well, he was at um, an event. It may have been a, a, a Texas event or something. And... Uh, one of the questions was about, will Texas be playing Texas A&M game, you know, again on a yearly basis? And he said, yes, his goal is to have that be part of Thanksgiving weekend, maybe mm-hmm. even on Thanksgiving. And then he said, you know, as the SEC goes to a nine-game schedule, likely in 2026. Ooh. And it kind of was uh, interesting. But I do think that 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 is telling in a number of things, um, which I think we thought that was going to be inevitable, even though... ESPN, ABC, Disney claims that they had nothing to do with the SEC playing eight or nine games. I just think that 
it may not be in the contract. I just think they said, guys, we're going to need more quality content. Yeah. It's one we thing. We want more money. We want better content. Well, and, and, and it's not that there's not interest in these games, but understand they're paying massive amounts of money for these games. They generate big audiences. Yes, you use those audiences to then make money on sponsorships, but there is a model that tells you that Disney's reached a point with their sports rights that you may not be making back what your investment is through sponsorships. Um, There's a really good uh, analysis that's been done on the new projected playoff deal that ESPN ABC just signed Mm -hmm. that they may not make back that money in sponsorships just because uh, it's a big increase. And as you're trying to figure out this TV streaming world, um, it's, okay, hey, we want these properties because it's good for the brand, the affiliation, the audience. Um, But it doesn't necessarily translate to the sponsorship dollars to equal the amount of money that you're paying out for this. And um, I, I do think, that's where Disney told the people at, at, at the SEC, look, the Louisiana Monroe LSU game, I'm going to need less of those. I'm going to need a little bit more of these uh, conference games. And I do think that's why you'll see the shift in a, uh, in a couple years towards the ninth yeah, game. It, yeah, interesting because um, the Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petiti, yeah. he was talking, I was, I was reading the story this morning, is he wants to have... You know, bigger games later in the season in the Big Ten. I don't know what his mission is, but it sounds like that might be TV-related, too. It is. Um, what he's talking about is let's do a better job of projecting who we think the better teams are going to be, and let's try to stack more of those games later in the season. Uh, the colder it gets, the more the audience stays at home and watches, and the bigger the numbers are. Yeah. Now, right. your TV partners kind of like that, but they also still like to spread some things out. You want some big games in every month. Um, but I think it, 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 it's interesting in wherever the expanded playoff is going uh, with 12 and who knows you know, what we'll settle on is what conferences do with these conference schedules. I, I'm not speaking for Brett Yormark. I'm not speaking for Terry Mahajer, but... There's, I mean, there's, there's been whispers in the Big 12 about, you know, 10 conference games. There's been whispers in the Big 10 about 10 conference games. Heck, Nick Saban in Alabama said that. Um, and I, I think conferences understand that their TV, that, that their media partners want that value. But, Mike, coaches get hired and fired based on win percentages. And ADs know that. And I think that's tough to, to, to sell that because, again, your fans like wins. And the more conference games you play, um, you might lose some of these games uh, because those non-conference easy games, not that everybody schedules every one of them, those are wins for coaches. And as you get to these 14, 16, 18-team leagues, the first priority for that coach that simply knows I'm at the middle of the pack, bottom level, I, I want to get six wins. I want to get to a bowl. Yeah, you you say fans like wins. Yes, yes, fans like wins at the end of the season when they can look back and say, "Hey, we we won eight or nine, or you know, we went to a bowl game." But as the season is going on, I mean, nobody wants to see, you know, 
Louis, LSU versus Louisiana Tech, to use the example you just used. Nobody wants to see not, not even the fans of LSU want to see that game. I don't argue that. Played. But then when your team is 2-4, and four, they don't care about your conference game either. <laughs> right? right? Yeah, right. so, so the, that's, the, that's the juggling act that everybody has to do here um, and why I think there's some pushback on the idea of going to 10 for conferences that play 9 and for the SEC kind of holding out. Um, whatever excuses they've given publicly, you know what it's been. You know, hey, if we can play eight home games, let's play eight and only four conference games on the road, and you know that 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 means more wins. That means more uh, home games uh, for us. But it'll be interesting, though, because it, I believe the good. committee should should reward teams for playing tough schedules. And and that, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like these conference commissioners, like Petiti, are sort of laying the groundwork for that. Like, listen, <laughs> we've got this new playoff now. If we're going to play these tough games at the end of the season and have tougher schedules, you know, nine wins might should get you in the playoff, right? Right. I think that that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch of the selection committee. Which I know you love, Scott Ward Manual now. <laughs> the AD at Michigan. Um, but um, does a does a nine and three team deserve to get in over a eleven and one team when that nine and three team played tough out of conference games and played uh, you know highly ranked teams that were in their conference and that scheduled at nine and three. It's better than summon at eleven and one, or even eight and four versus ten and two. Um, right. We've got no precedent set for that based on the first eight years of the playoff, uh, or uh, almost ten. And that is going to be interesting because, as you just said, Petiti and Sankey will fight for that. I mean, you know, Greg Sankey would tell you, "Hey, my I'm just using it. My eight and four Florida team is far more worthy than that ten and two TCU team." That's yeah. going to be the arguments to be made in years to come. Yeah, it's going. To, yeah, you're right. And you've been saying this for the longest time since you know Texas and Oklahoma joined the the SEC and all of this conference realignment. You've been saying, "Hey, fans, mm. coaches, you bet. You know, if you're going to have these huge conferences playing all these conference games, you better start getting used to." thinking you're going to win 11 or 12 every year because that's not going to happen. Now, I mean, it'll still happen occasionally, but it's going to be a lot harder to get the 10 or 11 wins, especially in 12 wins. is going to be near impossible, I would think. Every time someone says breakaway in those two conferences, I just remind you, look at the National Football League. When you pair that down, um, it's impossible for everybody to go 11 and 1. Just look at the National Football League where really – Going twelve and five is a good season. That equivalent is what when you have a twelve game schedule. That becomes more the norm. It's not. It's not going undefeated. When you start beating each other up, um, that becomes the norm. I, 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 I'll just add this because I'm I'm watching it. Okay, Big Twelve basketball is viewed as the best league in the country, not just by opinion, but by the metrics that the committee uses in measuring quality of uh, leagues and teams, okay? The conference champion may end up losing six games. Why? Because everybody's beating each other up. Because that's what happens. The same thing's going to happen in the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the ACC. The more teams you add, um, the more competition, 
it's going to be harder than you think, and not everybody's going to go 11-1, and one, and you better get used to realizing, hey, 9-3 and three was a pretty good year, and gets me to the playoffs. By the way, speaking of the Big 12 basketball, I was listening to, to Mike O'Donnell step back three when you were off last week, and he was on with Tuck. He, he said that the Big 12 could get 10 teams in the tournament? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What's the most a conference has ever gotten to the tournament? Um, it's got to be close, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the I think the Big Ten may have gotten town. I'd have to go back and look. I think uh, nine is realistic today. For example, Saturday UCF plays Cincinnati. They're the team that might be on the fringe of being number ten because they've got a high net ranking. Um, mm-hmm. So now every game is huge for them, and um, road wins have value. So Saturday's a big swing game for them. Obviously, they feel like they need to win. Um, I think today probably nine safely in uh, of the Big 12, and that leaves some pretty good team down. Like Kansas State right now is a net ranking behind UCF, and they're really good. So, yeah. And, and by the way, the SEC's having a really good year as well. Uh, um, the Big 12 is really strong, but the SEC's got a chance, I think, to get uh, nine in as well. The, the, the conference that's not having a great year is the ACC. By the way, I tried to tell you that Todd Golden was going to be a pretty good basketball coach. My boy is no longer memorizing license plates. That's right. When I, when I found out he used to memorize license plates when he was a kid, I knew Gators might have something. You know what he also realized when he got there? He had to gut the roster, and he went heavy portal <laughs> and rebuilt the team. That's what he did. To his credit. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Peace. Love. Boil peanuts. Have a great day. All right, Mike. Thursday edition of the Beat of Sports is next. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.